Monday and Tuesday uh, to have uh, Miss Corinne Dam is going to take the children's program for us. She's come specifically to do that. Corinne, we're thankful for that. And so if you want to make your way to the back, and if you are second grade on down, you follow Miss Corinne, and she will take care of you tonight and tomorrow night. And then don't, don't, get, don't get soft, because Mr. Frank will be back after you on Wednesday night. <clears throat> All right, appreciate Miss Corinne Miss coming in to do that. <clears throat> I talk to pastors and they say we don't do revival meetings anymore. I think one of the reasons why is because they bring men in that just do not have the fire of God in their bones. And I told Brother Crow on the way here, now lots of people push, try to push their way into the pulpit. Now, if, if you put, try to push your way in, you get on my list of people that don't get to stand behind pulpit. I just, I'm, I try to be very protective of it. And so if you're pushing, that's not something the, the good shepherd does. He leads. Uh, Brother Crow is one of those guys that loves the Lord. He's got the fire of God in his bones. He comes, he, he brings a message in a way that I can't do. A pastor could come in and he could preach a good message. I can preach a good message. Brother Crow brings something to the pulpit that that we need, and I hope that you'll give him your undivided attention tonight. Brother Crow, I hope you have great liberty in the pulpit. God bless you, my friend. Thank you, Pastor Bishop. Well, good evening. Good to see you on a Monday night. I trust you've had a wonderful day. I've had a good day. You've gotten to give the gospel to some people, and that's always a good day. So I appreciate that. Would you find the book of 1 John chapter 4 in your Bibles, please? 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4 is where we'll be. First John chapter 4. We'll direct our attention there to verse 7. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 7. If you're able to stand, do you think we could do that together? Let's do that. You can't stand, we understand that, we comprehend that, but if you can, let's do it. All right, I'll read aloud, you can follow along silently. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, the Bible says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God. For God is love. And this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Father, I pray that you would work in our hearts this evening as we look into the Scriptures. I pray that you'd open the Scriptures, cause us to understand and make application. And Lord, I pray that you'd change us. We have, these people haven't come to hear from me. They've come to hear from you. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak in a, in a powerful way. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. The United States of America today, we have some cultural associations. It's difficult to think of one without thinking of the other. So maybe you can help me tonight. I'll mention the one and you try to come up with the cultural association. I'm thinking tonight of biscuits and gravy. That's right. I didn't have to coach you. You immediately knew it, didn't you? Now, there are, there are people in this world who would have us believe that gravy is graveyard glue. And, you know, if you eat gravy, you're just going to drop dead of a heart attack. But I, I, I've never had a heart attack, but I think if I drop dead of a, a gravy heart attack, at least be a happy heart attack, right? <laughs> Biscuits and gravy, we understand that. I'm, I'm thinking of another association, perhaps you can help me with this one. I'm thinking of a hamburger and fries. That's right. Now, you don't have to have fries, but uh, 
Who hasn't had a hamburger and fries in the United States of America? I heard a British man say a couple years ago, he said, you know, there's some things that different cultures have perfected. And one thing that American culture has really perfected, they perfected the hamburger. And I can say amen for that. I, I'm glad for that. And uh, so we understand burger and fries. How about this? Cake and Ice cream, that's right. What little kid in here has a birthday without having cake and ice cream? Those are just things that go together. You immediately recognize them. I immediately recognize them. Here's one that, here's one that goes together. This is maybe uh, dates you a little bit, but uh, I'm thinking of two entertainers. One was named Laurel and the other was named... Hardy, exactly. Those two guys, I don't know that they could be any physically more diverse, but boy, they sure did make me laugh. I mean, they were so goofy and it just, they just make me laugh. And how about this? The little boys are playing outside in the yard and they're playing cowboys and Indians, right? Cowboys and Indians. You know, cowboys and Indians really never really mix that much in the in the real West. But uh, for some reason, we've got them together in our minds. And uh, here's here's another one. And I've been in I've been in ministry for a long time. After I got out of college, I I preached a lot of youth rallies and uh, and that kind of thing. And it's interesting to me that these two go together. Now, maybe you, these are not as as obvious, but a youth rally and pizza. And that's been true as long as I can remember. I mean, my first, uh, the first youth, uh, uh, the youth meeting I ever went to as a, as a young boy, we were having pizza back then. And it still tasted like cardboard with a few toppings on top, you know? And that, so that's just, uh, that's just died in the wool among independent Baptists. I don't know why we always do that. We just seem to always do that. Here's another one. I don't understand this one either. You, you may not get this right off, but where I live in Mississippi, beginning the day after Thanksgiving, they begin, there's a channel that comes, I don't have cable or, or dish or anything like that, so I still have the old-fashioned rabbit ears. Remember that, where you got to hold your mouth right? Oh, wait, you got the signal, we can't see the football game. Okay, yeah, that's what I have in my home. So, uh, there is a channel in North Mississippi where I live, just outside of Memphis, Tennessee, and beginning the day after Thanksgiving, they play Christmas romance movies. I guess, Hallmark movies. Now, I don't have a Bible verse for this, but why? Why? I mean, from all I can tell, they got two plots and 75 titles, right? The only thing I know about the movie is, some, at one point in time, this dude coming in in a convertible Porsche who, who makes a six-figure salary on Wall Street is going to get out only to get dumped by his girlfriend at Christmas time. And she's going to find some guy walking in in a flannel shirt who hasn't had a job in six months. And because he built a table in the park or because he built a bench for somebody to sit on, she's going she's gonna to dump her, her fiancé, and she's going to marry this guy. Roll the credits. I mean, uh, there are a couple of variants, maybe. Throw in a, a horse or a rebellious teenager or a stray dog, and you got the whole thing. Why do they do that? But my girls, oh my goodness, my girls just lap it up. And they watch these things. I think to myself, now, thank the Lord, it coincides with hunting season. So, I mean, I can be, I have a reason to be gone 16 hours a day. And I, you know, and that, that's a wonderful thing. But where do we get off Christmas time and cheesy, predictable romance movies? I don't know. But those are just two things that are sometimes associated in our culture. Can I tell you something that ought to be associated with believers? If you know Christ as Savior, it just ought to be an obvious thing that you love people. Just ought to go together. Just ought to be a, a, just like biscuits and gravy and cowboys and Indians, it just ought to be known that if you know Christ as Savior, you love people. Now let me, let me just, just say a little bit of a word about love. The concept of love is a concept that a modern American culture does not understand. You say, Brother Paul, how do you know? Well, they've said so in their, in their songs. One, uh, one pop singer put it this way, I want to know what love is. At least he's being honest. He has no idea. He has no idea. And why wouldn't he have an idea? Why would he have an idea? He can't find it in Hollywood. 
He's not going to find anything about real love in Hollywood. He's not going to find about real love in Nashville. He has no idea. As a matter of fact, uh, if you want to know anything about love, you're going to have to come to the Word of God and you're going to have to study the Bible. Otherwise, you're not going to know much about love. The Bible says here in His love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Understand, if you want to know about love, you've got to go to the Word of God. So we're living in a culture that knows nothing about love. Furthermore, they have redefined love. They, the, the, there are people today that say, if you love me, you will put your stamp of approval on everything that I do. And if you do not, uh, if you do not actively approve of everything I do, you do not love me. Let me just say that's the most foolish thing I've ever heard of in my life. Amen. He's been here before, but it's been a long time since my son Josiah has been at the Lighthouse Baptist Church. Josiah is today 21 years of age. He is finishing, he is completing, I hope he completes it anyway. He is, uh, he is currently in his fourth year of college at the Ambassador Baptist College. When he was just a little guy, I mean I'm maybe 18 months of age, he was just a little fella. And he was kind of crawling around, you know, he, he, he spent a lot of time crawling on threes. He had a fourth one, but never did use it. I never did figure that out. But that's what he did. And so one day, the weather was nice, and uh, we lived out in the out in the country. Our next door neighbors were cows on three sides. Across the road, our neighbors over there were kudzu and beans. But we had a neighbor that lived about a half a mile away, and uh, he was in, and he was talking to me. And I thought, my wife, I knew my wife was hanging out clothes on the line. I thought she was watching our son. She thought I was watching our son. It's one of those things. Listen, Joseph and Mary did it, so don't look at me and blame me, okay? So uh, I, I thought she was watching the baby. She thought I was watching the baby. So during our conversation, he slipped past me and into the country road on which we lived. Now, that country road had a, a posted speed limit of 55 miles an hour. And there was a hill right over here, and cars coming over that hill, they were... Well, 55 was not necessarily the speed to which they limited themselves. You know, the word limit, it's just, uh, it was up for debate in that part of the country. And so they would come over that hill very, very quickly. And there was no, even if you were only doing 55, there's no way you could stop if there was something in the road. That's just the way it was. It was a country road. Normally it wasn't a problem. But on this particular day, my son had gone out into the road and he was in the middle of the lane where traffic coming this way would not be able to stop if, if they had to. I didn't see him. I was standing here talking to the neighbor, and the neighbor said, Paul, Paul, your boy's out on the road. I said, well, that's, that's impossible. My wife is watching him. And then I realized, no, she wasn't watching him. I ran out. I grabbed my son and pulled him out of the middle of the road. In doing so, I disapproved. As a matter of fact, I prohibited his action of playing in the middle of the road. Now, he didn't know anything about this at the time, but he could have looked at me and said, if you love me, you would let me go and play in the middle of the road. When in fact, the opposite was true. Because I loved him, I prohibited him from playing in the middle of the road. And it's a good thing I did what I did when I did it. Because there was a vehicle that came down and uh, pretty, just zoomed right through there. And had I not gotten him, it would have killed my firstborn son. Listen, I did not stand against his action because I, di- I, I, because I did not love him. Rather, I prohibited what he was doing because I did love him. Now, ladies and gentlemen, don't, don't you let anybody, family or friends or anybody, say, uh, well, you don't love me because if you loved me, you would approve of everything I do. Let me tell you, that's not love, my friend. If you're headed toward a, or if you're headed down a road and the bridge is out, and I tell you, you can't continue down this road, that doesn't mean that I don't love you. It just means that I want to protect you and I want to keep you from something bad that's happening. 
It wasn't so long ago that uh, there's a bridge, there's a, a little river near where I live. It's called the Mississippi River. Maybe you've heard of it. And there are several bridges that go over that river. There are two main highway bridges near where I live. One is Interstate 55, the other is Interstate 40. A couple years ago, Interstate 40, which we refer to as the new bridge, it's, it's newer than the 55 bridge, the new bridge was out. Now, thank God they found out that there was a six-inch gap where it should have been closed together. They found that six-inch gap, Brother Merrick, before they lost any vehicles in the river. But the bridge was out. There were signs 90 miles away telling you that the bridge was out. You need to seek an alternative route. The bridge is out. And can I tell you, there are sometimes when you and I have to stand against the culture and we have to say the bridge is out. You can't continue down this road. If you continue down this road, there will be dire consequences. And sometimes you're going to be demonized and I'm going to be demonized. But don't let that deter you. We have, we still have to stand on the truth. Do you understand? Love without truth is a mockery. Love without truth is a mockery. Truth and truth needs to bind everything that we do, even the relationships that we have. And so the Bible talks about Christians and loving people. I want you to notice from this passage of Scripture three very simple reasons why you and I should love other people. I want you to notice, number one, we should love other people because God is love. Let's, let's look at that. The Bible says in verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. Now watch verse 8. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Now here is what the Apostle John is saying. The Apostle John is saying God is love. Now there are, some, there are certain statements that John makes throughout his writings that are that are kind of very descriptive or maybe a, a definitive of our God. For example, the Bible says in John chapter 4, recording the words of the Lord Jesus, John says in John 4 and verse 24, God is a spirit. God is a spirit. If you want to know something about God, you need to understand He's not to be made in the fashion of an idol, or the fashion of a man. No, God is a spirit. That's a very definitive statement about our God. Our God is not the universe. He is not a tree. He is a spirit. You can see Him. I can see Him. God is a spirit. Then the Bible says in 1 John 1 and verse 5, God is light. Again, this is a, this defines our God. If you know anything about our God, our God is not darkness. Our God is light. And then here in this passage of Scripture, 1 John 4 and verse 8, God is love. If you want to describe God, if you want to depict God, you cannot do so properly without talking about the fact that God loves you and me. Now, in this world where we, where we hear the word love so often but don't really understand it, maybe it's a good idea for us to define what God means when He says love. Many times, people love each other for what the object of their affection can do for them. You follow that? By contrast, God's love, God loves me not for what I can do for Him, but for my good. Now that's a different kind of love. But that's the love that defines our God. No description of God is complete without telling of His concern for mankind. Now, how, what, what, why does that come into play when I say that I'm supposed to love other people? Notice what it says in verse 4. He that loveth, everyone that loveth, excuse me, everyone that loveth is born of God. Everyone that loveth is born of God. So here's the, here's the reasoning, all right? We're going to reason biblically according to the statements there in the text. Here's the reasoning. God is love. And when I got saved, I was born of God. Second Peter 1 and verse 5, we are partakers of the divine nature, the Bible says. So God is love, and because I am born of God, I ought to love other people. Does that make sense to you tonight? Don't go around and talk about how Jesus is your Savior if you're a hateful old cuss and you and you just want to get in everybody's way and ruin everybody's day. I've met people like that. 
I knew a woman one time. She was the most difficult woman that I have ever met in my entire life to get along with. She lived with my mother-in-law. I did not say it was my mother-in-law. I said she lived with my mother-in-law. And and you know what her favorite song was? Not making this up, Pastor Bishop. Her favorite song, Make Me a Blessing. I wanted to sing It Took a Miracle. That's what I wanted to sing. But anyway... She's with the Lord now. But the truth is, you and I ought to love other people because we have been born of God. God is love, and therefore, I should love. And so should you. Now, let's go on in the Scripture. Let's see what the Bible says. Not only is God love, should we love people because God is love, but we should love other people because God demonstrated love. Now, this is very important. Let's look at what the Bible says. In this, I'm in verse 9, 1 John 4 and verse 9, in this was manifested. Well, we know the word manifest. It means to make it plain so that everybody can see. In this was manifested the love of God toward us. Because that, God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. So now we're going to understand that God, not only God is love, but God demonstrated His love. And all of us who have been saved can be thankful for that demonstration. Let's understand some things about this demonstration. Let's notice that, first of all, this demonstration is tied up in a person. Do you see that? We're in verse 9. And this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son... Hear me and hear me well. You cannot understand the love of God without knowing Jesus Christ. Now, there's a man that, whose work that I appreciate. I, I, I enjoy hearing what he has to say. Don't always agree with what he has to say. He happens to be a Jew. He's, he, he's a man by the name of Dennis Prager. I listen to him a lot. But you know what? He doesn't understand about the love of God. You know why? Because he's never accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. I can understand why Dennis Prager, a Jew, understands the Old Testament law and yet fails to realize the depth of relationship that is possible between the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel and you and me today. He doesn't appreciate that. Why? Because he doesn't know Jesus Christ as Savior. What am I saying? I'm saying the greatest demonstration of the love of God didn't happen at Sinai. It didn't happen at the Red Sea. It didn't happen with the plagues of Egypt. It didn't happen with Elijah or Elisha, or any of the prophets of the Old Testament. The greatest demonstration of God's love happened when He sent His Son, Jesus Christ. And my friend, understand this. If you're here tonight and you've never been saved, you, there is a God in heaven. There are some times that Satan loves to come to you and say, Ah, oh, there's a God in heaven. He doesn't care about you. Can I tell you that's a lie? Amen. That's a lie. It is Satan that has wrecked and ruined this world in which we live. It is Satan. Somebody says, well, if God, if there's a real God, how come there's so much wickedness in the world? I can answer that very simply. There's wickedness in this world because of sin. That wasn't God's idea. But God made man with a free will. And man chose to sin. That doesn't prove that God is an awful person. In fact, it proves the opposite. Because after man sinned, God could easily have wiped man from the face of the earth. But that's not what he did. In his love and in his pity, the book of Isaiah says, he came to us and he, he found out that we had sinned against him. And he said, I'm not going to let them go on in their sin. I'll tell you, I will send my only begotten son and I will have him pay the penalty for their sin. You want to know about the love of God, my friend? You've got to be introduced to Jesus Christ. We're talking about the demonstration of God's love. It's all bound up in the person of Jesus Christ. But when we talk about the demonstration, there's a specific place. There's a specific place mentioned. Look again at verse 9. The Bible says, Because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world. Don't miss that little phrase. Three words. Into the world. What's the significance of that phrase? The significance is that Jesus Christ took the greatest step down that anyone has ever taken. I haven't been in each of your homes, but I'm going to make a fundamental assumption about you. 
I'm going to make a fundamental assumption that you have a level of cleanliness that you like to maintain in your home. We understand that not everyone has the level of cleanliness that you have in your home. Now, uh, earlier in my ministry, I used to eat in a lot of people's homes, and uh, that's that's fine. Sometimes happens even today. But I found this, that uh, ladies may be wonderful housekeepers, but they never clean on top of their refrigerator. That's not part of the message. I'm just saying it. Because some, some of you ladies were getting a little bit nervous. Ah, what's he going to say about my housekeeping? Well, there you have it. There you have it. Now that I've alienated half of you. Well, the reason is they can't see, Pastor Bishop. They can't see up there. Brother Merrick, you and I understand that some of us, some of us have to walk a little taller. And, so we come, and it's right there at eye level. Whoa, we got a dust collection going up here, don't we? Yeah. Wonder what all we're going to find in there. Yeah, it's, it's not a problem, Mrs. Bishop. I, I understand, I understand. But uh, at any rate, we, we understand that you have a level of cleanliness. You like to keep your house a certain level of cleanliness. And we also realize that there are people who do not share your level of cleanliness. For example, my wife Sarah was going on a visit. This was many years ago when we were both in college. We were not married at the time, but she was going with a woman named Michelle Beal. And Michelle Beale had long curly hair at the time, just came a little, a little past her shoulders. My wife's hair came down past her waist. It was very neat. It was very, it was very, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, just all over the place. She was just known for having very beautiful hair. And that's just, that's just the way it was. It was very long. And so they knocked on a particular door. There were two teenage girls that were evidently unwed mothers. They lived in this home. And so, when, the, when my wife and Michelle Beale knocked on the door, these two teenage girls said, yes, you're welcome to come in. And so, as my wife and Michelle Beale entered the door of that home, one of the teenage girls turned on the light. When she did so, my wife said it was as if the wall dissipated. It was covered in cockroaches. And my wife is standing here with her very long, neat hair, thinking, please don't jump on me. Please don't jump on me. She was thinking thoughts like, I hope they don't lay eggs in my hair. She's from up north. She doesn't understand cockroaches don't lay eggs in your hair. They lay eggs on the bottom of your shoes. And you... No, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But, uh, and Michelle Beale was thinking the same thing. Her hair didn't come down past her waist. But it was curly. It was a... she, she had beautiful hair. Both of them did. And she's thinking, oh... Jesus loves you. If you were to die today, you'd be happy. I mean, if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? That's the kind of thoughts they were thinking. Now, I don't know the standard of your housekeeping, ma'am, but I have a, I am making a fundamental assumption this evening. You would not wish to go live in a house that was infested with roaches. You would not wish to live in a place that was covered in dirt and covered in filth. You wouldn't want to do that. You would, uh, you would go into such a place and you would be revolt, you would be afraid to touch anything. You would say, ah, you know, maybe I'm going to sleep in my suitcase because I just really don't know what is, uh, what's in this bed. I don't know if it's clean. You have a standard. And, and anything below that standard, you don't wish to judge others, but neither do you want to live there. You don't want, you don't want to judge them. You don't want to belittle them, but man, you sure don't want to sleep on the floor. You un- we understand that tonight. Do you understand that it was a greater downgrade for Jesus Christ to come into the world? The Bible says, and this was manifested the love of God because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world. In the world, the Lord Jesus was told that He was the product of fornication. That's what they threw in His face according to the book of John. We be not born of fornication. That's what they did to the Lord Jesus. In the world, they buffeted him. They, they punched him in the face. In the world, they smote him on the top of the head. In the world, they platted a crown of thorns and they forced it down on his head. In the world, they took him and they crucified him on a, on a wooden cross that he himself had made with his own hands. In the world, that's the way they treated the Lord Jesus. And so when we look at this demonstration of the love of God, we understand it's bound up in a person. But we also understand it's bound up in a place. But the Bible tells us in verse 9 that there's a purpose. Look at the purpose. In this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world. Here's the purpose. That we might live through Him. 
Can I give you some theology 101 tonight? Just very basic theology. This is important. Sin brings death. We understand that tonight? Let's say it together. Theology 101. Here we go. Sin brings death. Very simple. Hasn't that always been true? Oh, that was true in Genesis chapter 3 in the Garden of Eden. That's been true all the way through. That's why the Bible says in James 1 and verse 15, uh, the sin when it is finished bringeth forth death. That's why the Bible says in Romans 6 and verse 23, the wages of sin is death. That's why the Bible says in Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 4, that the soul that sinneth it shall die because sin brings death. That's always been true. And so in this world that you and I live in, it is a world that is soaked in sin and as a consequence, it is a world that is plagued by death. We just heard tonight of a dear lady who has passed away. And I, I didn't know her that well. Some of you might have known her. But it's a tragedy. Every time there's death, it's a tragedy. And we mourn the loss of those people. Why do we have to deal with that? Because we're all sinners. We live in a world that is saturated with sin. And so the Bible tells us that sin brings death. Okay, here is uh, tenet number two. Are you ready? God gives Life. Can we say that together? God gives life. Now that's important. Both of those are important. Sin brings death, but God gives life. Hasn't that always been true? Wasn't that true in the Garden of Eden after Adam and Eve had sinned? Wasn't it God that began to search for Adam and Eve? Wasn't it God that found them and called to them and, and, and slew an animal so that the shame of their nakedness could be covered? Wasn't that true in the very first sin in the Garden of Eden? Wasn't it true that all throughout the Old Testament God provided a means whereby their sin could be covered for another year all the time pointing to someone who would one day come and take away their sin? Wasn't that true throughout the Old Testament? Isn't it true that the Lord Jesus came and while he lived on this earth he said I am come that they might have life and they might and that they might have it more abundantly isn't it true that God is in the business of giving life hear it isn't it true that God stands ready to revive the heart of the humble and revive the heart of the contrite even tonight isn't that true ladies and gentlemen we serve a God who wants to give his life to you why in the very beginning physically the Lord formed God formed man out of the dust of the ground but that wasn't enough had he just gathered the elements together that wasn't going to be enough. But then the Bible says he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and then and only then could man become a living soul. You see, God gives life. God gave life physically. But I want you to know God wants to give life spiritually. And God saw a world saturated in sin. It was covered over in death, and he said, oh, I can't let death reign. I can't let death have the upper hand. I must go down and give them life. And the purpose of this demonstration was so that we might live through Him. I want you to notice one more aspect of this demonstration. There's the process spoken of in verse 10. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us, and here's the process, and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our Sins. Propitiation. It's probably not a word that you've used in conversation today. What does it mean? It means that my sin made God angry. And so did yours. And because of God's anger towards sin, God must punish me. Because I'm the sinner. God must punish you. Because you're the sinner. And so, the hand of God is raised. Remember the story in Genesis chapter 22 when Abraham was drawing back the knife to slay his son Isaac? Remember that horrible story? Horrible and yet wonderful. Because Abraham is about to plunge the knife into his only son. And what happens? God says, Abraham! He says, here am I. He says, lay not thine hand upon the child. And the Bible tells us in that story they found a ram caught in a thicket. And they got that ram, and the Bible says that Abraham offered that ram, hear it, in the stead of his son Isaac. What does that mean? That means that all of that death from that knife, it was, it was the ram that bore the brunt of that knife. It wasn't Isaac that day. Can I have you to understand the wrath of God's judgment was ready to plunge the knife into my heart because I had sinned. I want you to understand something. Your sin and my sin is awful in the sight of God. 
We live in a world where we see sin so much that we want to excuse it. We want to, we want to explain it away. We want to somehow think it's not that big a deal to society, so probably it's not that big a deal to God. My friend, that's not true. That's not true. The Bible says, Whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. Right. You realize your self-righteousness and somebody else's murder make you even in the sight of God? Do you realize your arrogance and someone else's fornication make you even in the sight of God? Do you understand that tonight? And because of your sin and mine, God's judgment must fall. It must come down. His wrath must be, uh, must be meted out. But the Bible says, in place of you and in place of me, Jesus Christ, like the, lamb, like the ram caught in the thicket in Genesis 22, Jesus Christ stood in our place on the cross of Calvary. And the Bible says He is the propitiation. He is the object of the wrath of God so that when the wrath of God fell, it didn't fall on you, it didn't fall on me, but it fell on Him, my friend. No wonder the Bible says in Isaiah 53, It pleased the Lord to bruise Him. He hath put Him to grief. When thou shalt make His soul an offering for sin, He shall see His seed. He shall prolong His days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Wait a minute, wait a minute. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. What's that? Propitiation. Propitiation. And so, my friend, the Bible tells us that God demonstrated His love. Why should you love? Why should I love? Because God is love. But we should also love because God demonstrated His love. Now, I want you to hear me and hear me well right now. If I were to go to every one of you and ask you, do you hate people? Most of you, maybe all of you, would say no. But I want to ask you this. If God had not demonstrated His love to us, how valuable would His assurances of love be? I submit to you that God can say He loves us all He wants, but it is eloquently proven whenever we look at Calvary. And now we're in a context where God says, because God loves, that you and I ought to love others. So (coughs) the question that I have to ask you this evening is this. What evidence do your neighbors have that you love them? What evidence do your coworkers have that you love them? When God said that He loved us, we could just take Him at His word. Or, but we can also look to Calvary. Because not only was His love asserted, it was demonstrated. Now I want you to listen very carefully right now to this statement. A love that is not demonstrated cannot be validated. You get that? A love not demonstrated is a love not validated. And there's a lot of us, we want to go, Pastor, and we want to say, oh, yeah, I love people. I, I don't hate anybody. I, I, I just love that. Then that's fine. That's wonderful. I'm glad that you do. What evidence do those people have that you love them? What demonstration have you given? When God loved us, He claimed that He loved us, but then He demonstrated it so powerfully by sending His Son, Jesus, to die on the cross. And that, that's how we know that He loves us. I want to ask you, how do your friend, how do your family members know that you love them? How do your friends know that you love them? What demonstration have you offered? I was studying for this message. I was still in Mississippi. In Mississippi, I live in a little subdivision little quarter of an acre of ground that I have on this earth to call my own. You understand what it's like to live in a subdivision. Probably you do too. Unless you drive from a long ways away to get to this church. We understand a subdivision. Lots of houses stacked in there together. And so I began to walk around the block. The Lord had been speaking to my heart and I began to I had to get up from the study. I had to just mull over some things in my mind. I began to walk down the street and began to pass house after house after house. There's Bill, my next door neighbor. He and I have a wonderful relationship. He's a, he, he's, he was a mechanic for a while, a diesel mechanic. He said, oh, Paul, you come in anytime. My garage door is always open. You can just come in, get the tool, use it, and then put it back. He said, that's fine with me. You don't have to knock on the door. I always do anyway because I feel weird going into his shop. But that's the kind of relationship we have. 
Then I got to the next house. You know what I thought? I don't even know who lives here. I don't know who they are. Don't know their name. Oh, I could begin to give excuse. I could say, Pastor Bishop, well, I'm, I'm home 60 days out of the year and the rest of the time I'm gone. And the truth is, there are, there are neighbors, I believe, that have, uh, that have moved into the neighborhood and they've left before I even got to meet them. That happens. But I don't know that that's a valid excuse. And I began to walk to the next house and I began to ask myself, you know, I don't hate this person. I don't know them though either. And if, if I were to stand before God, what evidence could I bring to God and say, God, you loved us so much, you demonstrated your love for us by sending your son on Calvary. And I loved my neighbor so much, and this is what I did for them. And I realized, I don't have anything to offer as a validation of my love for those people. I kept walking around the block. But with every house, the conviction built. How do these people know that I care about them? How do these people know? What evidence have I ever given? I want to challenge you, ladies and gentlemen, today. We live in a world they know nothing of love, and they will know nothing of love until you and I learn to demonstrate our love for them. That's just the way it is. And dear friend, if you're here tonight, I want to ask you, what evidence have you shown your co-workers that you love them because of Jesus? What evidence have you shown to your family members that you love them because the Lord loved you first? What evidence is there? When we come to the God of heaven, we need not ask that question because there is a very eloquent demonstration of God's love. You don't, you don't doubt it tonight. I don't doubt it tonight. Every time we're tempted to doubt it, all we need to do is revisit Calvary in our mind and we understand, yes, and this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. We understand that tonight. But I want you to know, it is incumbent upon you and me to in kind show our love to those around us. It's not to say, you're, you're not going to send your son to die for your co-worker. We understand that. But what, what token do they have? What evidence do they have? I think so many times, if we're not careful, we can become so valiant for the truth that we fail to include love. Both are important. Do you understand? When you go and you endeavor to love someone, they're a whole lot more apt to listen to the truth. Maybe, instead of shoving a gospel tract in somebody's face, We could just show them that we care about them. Now, my wife says that I have a gift for getting things for free. She would say that. She would accuse me, Pastor Bishop, of schmoozing people. This has happened on many occasions. We go in and uh, we'll order a Frosty from Wendy's. Her Frosty will stop this, this far below the top of the cup. The Frosty that they hand me is piling up over now I don't know if I don't know what they're trying to say by that. But she says that I have a gift. And I, for example, I walked into a Burger King one time and the lady was behind the counter. I said, ma'am, I said, those cinnamon rolls there, I, I, are they new? She said, Yeah, yeah, they're new. I said, uh, how have people been treating you today? Uh, she said, Well, you know, there have been some. I said, Yeah, I know. I used to work fast food too. I said, but you know those cinnamon rolls, I, I just, are, are they good? She said, here, I'll give you one. <laughs> and my wife takes offense at that. My wife, she said, nobody ever gives me anything but a hard time. <laughs> and I looked at her and said, be quiet, woman. No, 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 I didn't say that. No, no, no. But the truth is, we can all learn, hear me, we can all learn to set aside our agenda, set aside whatever it is we're doing, to show genuine concern for people. I think it'd be a great idea if they'd let you. Not all hospitals will let you. I think it'd be a great idea for some ladies in this church to just say, you know what, if we can get a list of new mothers at the hospital, we're going to shower them with gifts. 
A lot of things you need when a new baby comes into the world. To start with, diapers upon diapers upon diapers. But you know what? There are mothers who will give birth. They don't know where the father of that child is, and they are nervous as they look forward to the days to come. Wonder what it would be like if some people from the Lighthouse Baptist Church said, hey, we don't know you, we have no idea who you are, but God loved us, and we want to show love to you. Wonder what might happen. Wonder if we might be able to see some new mothers saved. Wonder if we might be able to see some, some first responders saved in a, in a time when people are talking about defunding the police. I hope they're not talking about that in Northern Virginia, but in other places they, they are. Other places in the United States are absolutely, the infrastructure is absolutely crumbling because of all of that. But you know what? Wonder, if, wonder what it would be like for some people to go to a police uh, district and say, I wonder if we could wash your cruisers right here. Would you let us do that for you? Uh, we don't want to get in your way, certainly, but uh, if, we could just, if we could just wash it for you and let you know we appreciate what you do. Wonder how, I wonder how far that might go. Wonder how far it might go to go down to the local firehouse and express appreciation for men who give of their lives and uh, their lives are lives of absolute doldrum and absolute boredom until it's a life of absolute uh, adrenaline rush and absolute uh, pandemonium and absolute, ab- absolute uh, chaos until they can get the fire put out. Wonder what it would be like if we showed them some love. And ladies and gentlemen, I want you to understand something tonight. If God hadn't demonstrated his love toward us, all we would have are verbal assurances. But that's not what we have tonight from our God. We have the greatest demonstration of love that has ever existed in all of human existence. And I wonder if God loved us that way, and you and I are told to love other people, maybe, just maybe, we ought to decide by the grace of God, I want to demonstrate love to people around me. Understand from this passage of Scripture, you and I ought to love people because God is love. You and I ought to love people because God demonstrated love. I want you to notice number three, and finally, the Bible says in verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Just in case you missed it from verse 7, he's just telling you again. Now verse 12, No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and His love is perfected in us. There's a third reason why you and I ought to love one another. This is going to be a little off the wall, but I believe it comes right out of the text. Are you ready? You ready? Ready for an off-the-wall point? This evangelist came and didn't even alliterate his points for you on a Monday night. you believe that? We, you and I ought to love people because God is love. You and I ought to love people because, because God demonstrated His love. Number three, you and I ought to love people because God is invisible. What? Look at verse 12. No man hath seen God at any time. What does that mean? That means they can't know anything about Him unless somebody else shows it to Him. And how how are they supposed to know about God who is love? Well, if we love one another, (coughs) God dwelleth in us. And His love is perfected in us. What is He saying? The people that you work with, there's no way they'll know anything about God unless they see God reflected in you. This is what He's saying. The people in your extended family, there's no way they'll know anything about God until they see God reflected in you. That's what He's saying. And specifically, the trait about God that ought to be reflected in you and me, according to this passage of Scripture, is His love. You and I are supposed to reflect the love of God. We've all seen the moon, haven't we? We know there's nothing about the moon that shines. We say the moon shines at night. There are places in Virginia where moonshine doesn't have anything to do with a heavenly body. But we understand that we talk about the moon shining. It doesn't really shine. It doesn't emit light of its own. What does it do? It gathers light from the sun, reflects the light back to the earth. So that there are times, not so much in Virginia because of the humidity, but there are places in this world where you can go, you can go out in a full moon and you can read a novel by the light of the moon. Now, we call it the light of the moon, but it's not the light of the moon. It's just a light that has been reflected off the moon and comes to our eyes so that we can see it. Let me just tell you, that's what God wants you and me to do with His love. Why? Because no man has seen God at any time. How are they going to know about the love of God? No man has seen God at any time. But listen to this. Understand it loud and clear. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, 
And His love is perfected in us. And what happens when His love is perfected in us and God dwells in us? People look at us and they begin to understand some things about our God. Oh, listen, isn't that the ultimate goal of Christianity? Isn't that Christ in you, the hope of glory? Isn't that what the Holy Ghost wants to do in you and me? He wants to produce Christ-likeness in me. Isn't that the goal so that other people can see Jesus? We understand tonight that while Jesus walked on this earth, He chose to limit Himself in a human body. That means if Jesus were at the Sea of Galilee and you happened to be in Jerusalem, you couldn't see Jesus. Likewise, if Jesus were in Judea and you happened to be in, the, in, in Galilee, you couldn't see the Lord Jesus because He limited Himself to a human body. But after He ascended on high, He allowed the Holy Ghost to come down and by doing so, multiplied His appearances. How? Because when you and I surrender to the indwelling Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit produces Christ-likeness in us. So that as we live and as we walk and as we talk, people can see Jesus by seeing us. I want to ask you something. Do you love other people tonight? It's easy. It's easy to find the opposite of love, isn't it? If I were to ask you the opposite of love, you would probably say the opposite of love is hate. That's what you would say. May I suggest something else to you tonight? Sometimes the opposite of love is not so much seen in hate as it is seen in neglect. I want to ask you, isn't that true of a child? When a child is neglected, do they feel loved? Ask a child whose parents are going through divorce. Ask a child whose parents are so busy with their career that they hardly ever see their children. Ask such children if they feel loved. I just want to tell you tonight, if we're not careful, we can become so busy with what we're doing. We don't hate people, but we sure have a tendency to neglect them. And I want to tell you something. It's time that you and I get back to demonstrating the love of God to those around us. October 13th, 2021. I was to preach in a Christian school chapel. It was the school that is a part of our church there in North Mississippi. Right before I went up to preach to the room where chapel was to be held, I got a text on my cell phone. Someone had informed me that a friend of mine, a man by the name of Jason Walker, had been taken ill in the night. I didn't have any details, but uh, I prayed for him, and then I went up to preach, and uh, I'm glad that I didn't know any details at the time. I came back down after preaching that message, and I, I was immediately concerned for the family. I had been to this church for probably 10 years straight, something like that. Very few churches can take my ministry every single year, year after year. But the Bay Ridge Baptist Church of Brooklyn was an exception to that. They had me in. Now, your pastor is wise. He usually has me on a three-year rotating basis. I, that, that, there's some wisdom in that, okay? Because you can Paul Crow people to death, as it turns out. So... But his church, they just loved me there. I went there every single year. But after chapel, I discovered, no, Jason Walker, in fact, was not ill. He was dead. At 42 years of age, in the middle of the night, while he slept in his home there in Brooklyn, some sort of congenital heart defect had robbed him of his life. The last act that he did as he awakened from his sleep in abject pain, he tried to get to his wife and tried to take her hand and hold her hand, and he dropped dead. It was a shock to the entire community of Bay Ridge. Bay Ridge is a diverse community. It reminds me a little bit of this area, but uh, there are people just two blocks from the church there that have a celebration every single September 11th. Now, there are people in this country that, that would cause their blood to boil, and they would, they would not take well to Muslims dancing in the streets, celebrating the, coming, the taking down of the Twin Towers. They would not take well to that. Here, you all understand that the Pentagon was hit on the same day. If you were alive then, you understand that. It's still, still very real. But Jason Walker was an interesting person. He wasn't the greatest preacher in the world. Oh, he gave the Word of God. But no one would ask him to come preach at their conference. No one would ever invite him to write an article for their newspaper. That wasn't the kind of person he was. 
He was a good man, but no one ever would ever accuse his church of being organized religion, if you know what I'm saying. I mean, there was barely enough organization to hold it together, and sometimes you really wondered. But Jason Walker did something the entire 20 years he was in Brooklyn. Jason Walker knew how to love people. And Jason Walker loved people all over the place. I told my family, we were originally planning for just a little bit of a a break there at home. I told my family, I said, we're not having a break. I said, we're going to drive 2,000 miles round trip so that we can go and be a part of his funeral. And we did. We drove all the way up there. I'll never forget the funeral that sits on the, the church sits on the corner of 4th Avenue and 67th Street in Brooklyn, the Bay Ridge area. And there, there in that area, the, as we went to get into the auditorium, there, was, there were no seats available. They had put chairs in the aisles, and, uh, and there were six rows, no less than six rows of people standing at the back of the auditorium. Furthermore, there were there was people watching by way of closed-circuit television downstairs. They were watching the broadcast of the service. And beyond that, there were people that spilled out into 67th Street. They were trying to get in the building, but there was no more room for them to get in. I don't know if they have fire marshals in New York, but I'm sure the fire marshal would have shut down the service had he been able to see it. But maybe, just maybe, maybe they knew about it and maybe they decided, well, for this once, we'll just let it go because here they are come to honor a man who knew how to love people. I saw Muslims in the congregation that day come to pay their respects even though they had not, as far as I know, embraced Jason's God and Savior, yet they wanted to come and honor a man who had taught them the love of the God that we serve. There were hardened hockey players there. Jason played on a community hockey league. I'm scared to death to get out on the ice. I skate on the ice like a drunken giraffe. I mean, it's bad. Not Jason. He was part of a hockey league. His entire hockey team was there. There were others that were there. There were teenagers that were there by the scores. What, what, why were they there? They weren't there because Jason was a great, talented individual. Oh, he was a great guy. He was a nice guy. But it wasn't because of his great talent. They weren't there because of his great organizational ability. They were there because here was a man in one of the loneliest cities in the world that came to them and knew how to love them. I want to tell you, if you love people, you'll make a difference just like Jason did. But will you do it? Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to look into your word. Thank you that you loved us. And thank you that we can, sh- you, we can demonstrate your love to others around us. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. A couple of questions I want to ask you. First of all this, who here would say, Brother Paul, there was a time and a place where I understood the demonstration of God's love and I accepted Christ as my Savior so that if I died tonight, I'd go straight to heaven. I know Christ as Savior. If that describes you, put up your hand right now. Would you do that, please? I know Christ as my Savior, not a doubt in my mind. I know that I'm saved. God bless you. Thank you. You can put your hands down. God bless you. Let me ask you this. Who here would say, Brother Paul, I wish I could raise my hand, but I, I couldn't. I'm not, I'm not sure that I'm saved, but I wish you'd pray for me. If that describes you tonight, I wonder, would you just slip up your hand right now? Pray for me, preacher. I'm not sure that I'm saved tonight. I'm not sure that I'm saved. God bless you. I see that one there. Anyone else? Pray for me, preacher. I'm not sure that I'm saved. Would you pray for me? All right, here's what we're going to do. If you raised your hand and you said, I'm not sure that I'm saved, would you pray for me? I'm going to do it. But I want, to, I want to just challenge you. My prayer alone can't save you. In a moment, you're going to, you're going to hear the pianist begin to play a, note, a song of invitation. As you hear the first note of music, if you're here and you're not sure that you're saved, you're probably going to see some people leave their seat. They're going to come to the front. What are they doing? Well, God has spoken to their heart. They know Christ as Savior. That's already been settled. But God has spoken to their heart about something in the Word of God tonight, and they just want to respond. If you're here and you just raised your hand, I would invite you to respond too. Pastor Bishop is here. If you're here and you're not sure that you're saved, please don't just kneel at the front like you may see others do. Rather, come to Pastor Bishop and say, Hey, Pastor, 
I'm not sure I'm saved. You say, what will he think of me? Well, he'll be glad that you've had the courage to come. And I'll tell you what he'll think. He'll think, let me find someone that knows the word of God and let me have that person deal with you. That's what he'll think. And then he'll begin to pray for that person. He'll rejoice that you want to get this settled. That's what he'll think. So if you're here tonight and you're not sure that you're saved, I want to urge you, you raised your hand, I'm going to pray for you. But won't you come tonight? Won't you slip out and come? May we all stand to our feet, please. Everyone standing tonight. Father in heaven, you know the hearts of your people. Lord, if you've spoken to their heart, they know it and you know it. And I pray, Father, that according to your promise, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I pray that your people would follow you tonight. I pray that they would obey and do whatever it is that you are leading them to do. The Father, as nearly as I could see, there was one that raised the hand tonight. And by lifting this hand, this individual has told me, pray for me, preacher, I'm not sure that I'm saved. I pray for them right now. I pray that you'd give them the courage to slip out of their place in just a moment. As soon as they hear that first note of music, give them the courage to come. Help them to know that we love them. We don't love them as much as you love them, Father, but we do want to see them get saved. So, Father, I pray that during this invitation, you give this individual the courage that they need. I pray you give the personal worker wisdom. I pray that they'd be saved, or whatever it is, or get it settled, whatever it is, that it would be settled tonight. We thank you and we pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.